Hello, and welcome back to Smug and Play, where we're playing through cheesy FMV games on the Toshiba Satellite of Love. And with you is me, Alan. And, and with yes, thank you for prompting me. <laughs> now I was just going to end the episode right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm Austin, and the person who prompted me to introduce him is Alan. That's right. I mean, we probably should do some sort of riff tracks on some of these games because they're awful, and I I would have appreciated that when instead of actually playing them. <laughs> Aren't they their own riff tracks? <laughs> well, for some of these games, yeah, you might as well just watch five minutes of a Let's Play. Last time on Smug and Flay, we covered misogyny, the war on drugs, criminal justice system, the perception of hackers in the media, and uh, and also some choice words from Steve Ballmer. And it seems like you're you're tired of actual historical matters. Well, I'm not going to say we settled it, that's for sure. But, you know, we tackled those topics, and uh, right. now it's back. The tough, the tough questions. Smug and Flay is known for asking the tough questions. I feel like we're angling to be like the NPR video game show you know (laughs) (laughs) but anyway i'm just happy to be back shooting up you know south american drug lords and aliens aliens being the feature uh, on the cover of this magazine yes aliens being the cover story for march 1995 of pc gamer but before we get to the disc or the magazine i'd like to cover one little historical tidbit that occurred on march 2nd of this of this year of 1995 and that is yahoo launching their search feature you had previously asked whether or not yahoo existed uh when we started the podcast the answer was yes yahoo had just been created but yahoo actually didn't have any of the functionality that you associate with yahoo yahoo was a directory of websites that the curators of of yahoo uh thought were worth pointing people to so it was basically just a dump of html links so on march 2nd yahoo launched uh, a search feature now it's not a real search feature no you just search that curated list of html links yes now they just allowed you to search on the curated directory it didn't actually they didn't have any you know web crawlers that were going and and sort of mapping out the web and giving you actual you know results based on their popularity or the number of references or any sort of criteria like that it was purely to make it easier for people to find things in the hand curated directory of the internet that was quickly getting out of hand yeah and you know now in 2019 yahoo's probably the not the most important thing to people but uh back in this day you know these successful startups like yahoo did get a lot more people interested in working in computers and so that kind of funneled more people towards making games among other things so that's good for us As we always do in the lead up to Microsoft's highly anticipated release of Windows 95, uh, we have our industry watch, also known as Windows 95 watch. And we're not talking about Windows 95 at all this month. Is that right? I think it's a good thing. But we are talking about 
Multimedia. Yes, PC Magazine, their March 28th issue, uh, ran an article called Multimedia a la carte. And like with all things that you buy a la carte, it's uh, overpriced and sometimes not uh, worth the effort. <laughs> The basic idea here was that you just spent, you know, $3,000 on a basic, you know, Pentium computer, but it doesn't have all of the multimedia features in terms of sound, CD-ROM and whatnot for you to be able to get the most out of today's multimedia games and infotainment or whatever. PC Magazine reviewed 30 CD-ROM drives, 29 sound cards and 20 sets of speakers uh, so that you could spend a further $3,000 uh, and finally be able to enjoy the CD-ROM version of uh, TIE Fighter yeah. or Dark Forces. So tell us about CD drives, because they are slow. Yeah, so the, the editor's choice CD-ROM drive from this uh, from this issue is a four-speed Toshiba unit. Now, four-speed's not so bad on, on transfer, and this drive is decent enough. But if you look at the full field of CD-ROM drives that they looked at, the seek times, that is the time it takes for you to locate a file, basically, on the CD-ROM, head of the laser has to move over to the proper ring of the disk in order to read a particular file. The seek times were between 220 milliseconds and 700 milliseconds. 700 milliseconds seek time. It's just to go from one track to another. And this is why back in the day, they spent so much time trying to like sequentially lay out disks and things mm. like that. Because if you just scattered files randomly across the surface, you're incurring these ridiculous seek times. I mean, to be fair, a really nice hard drive in this day was like one gigabyte and probably cost a thousand, maybe more more than a thousand dollars so the fact that you get 700 megs on a cd-rom i think people are willing to sacrifice anything for that kind of storage yeah and including the just ages it'll take you to actually read any of it i wanted to talk about the pain of you know many people they shelled out their you know five hundred dollars or whatever and got a one speed or two speed Mm cd-rom and i felt their pain at this time because to play some of these fmv games that came out you really needed a four speed otherwise it was jerky you know you just kind of like you didn't want to watch that mess of pixelation and and frame ugliness so i mean most of these games from 95 let you pick your poison. You can either stream the video off of the disc or you can install all the movies to your hard drive. You either spent the thousand on the hard disk or you spent the thousand on the CD round drive. But either way, you weren't getting out of there for less than a thousand. Mm. Okay, let's talk about the Pinium 120 Megacycles, which was released March 27th. <laughs> yes, you, you wrote here that this was the third process in two years for Intel's Pentium chip. Yeah, they started at 0.8 microns. Now they're down to 0.35 microns. Yeah. Think of how small that is. Wow. Yeah, it was good because obviously the Pinium 100, which we covered in previous episodes, didn't really have a good yield on that on that <laughs> skew. So no. it was good that they uh, came up with a process that could push past the 100 megahertz barrier for Piniums. This is a good thing, and it shows that there's actually some progress that's occurring here. I mean, it's taking us a very long time from when Intel originally announced the 100 megahertz Pentium chip to when this 120 is coming out. You know, it's still, it's been a year. You've had a lot of time to play one must fall and uh, Warcraft or uh, other things that don't really need a Pentium 100 at all. TIE Fighter benefits, I would say. Yeah, so do you have anything else to say about uh, Intel or the Pentium chips? Uh, We're going to see more of them. We will, but not anytime soon. 
let's talk about this month's PC Gamer. PC Gamer this month had a number of exciting previews. The first I'll just touch on is uh, XCOM Terror from the Deep, the <laughs> shortly awaited sequel slash cash-in for XCOM UFO Defense released in 1994. If you like alien sea creatures, it reminds me there was an X-Files episode that came out around this time yes. with a sea creature that also haunts my dreams. So Is that the one that can like dissolve itself and go through a grate? Yeah. Ooh, that was the, one of the best Monster of the Week episodes of the X-Files and Terror. Mm-hmm. I guess. But very good. Uh, anyway, XCOM TFD, people do like this game because it's more XCOM, but it's really, it's a reskin slash bug fix of the original XCOM <laughs> UFO defense. Right. So- I, when I did research on it, the big difference about this game was nothing that they mentioned in the article. Apparently, the, the most notable difference was that the DOS release of UFO defense had a bug that always set the difficulty to easy. And all these people wrote in saying like, hey, this game is way too easy. And Terra from the Deep fixed this bug, so then it was impossible. Right. You finally got to play the game as it was meant to be played, which is uh, with extreme frustration. Yeah. So there was another preview for a game based on a movie franchise. Aliens. Yes. Yeah. So apparently the French developer Cryo, makers of that wonderful game that we played what was it a couple months ago called dragon lore Mm. the low interactivity pre-rendered graphics high fantasy game with very little dragon or lore but they also made dune which is a much more respected game now not westwood's dune 2 the the real-time strategy game but just dune the sort of the spice strategy kyle mclaughlin game that would actually that is a game that cryo could really do justice to so cryo and mindscape have put their resources together to make a game based on the aliens franchise except it's not based on the aliens movies it's based on the aliens dark horse comic series because fox wouldn't want cryo to touch the actual alien series with a 10-foot hole the screenshots look beautiful i don't know if they were actually shown a real game but there's some nice comic book style art on top of 3d models which for the time was quite advanced and i'm sure you're going to want to talk about the gameplay well the game is basically uh, an adventure game is it i so i left this article not knowing absolutely what this game was in any sense in fact they said some things at the end that were like it's like a role-playing game you're like gonna be one of the characters on the ship people are gonna be salty at you and you're gonna like show them and then when it actually comes out it's just a lame point and click adventure of some sort it's essentially a point and click adventure game so there's some sort of genre bending elements and there's some sort of management of stat factors or management of like personnel that goes into it i don't know how percentage wise how much of the game is that versus how much of it is more just a typical point and click traversing different scenes and, and picking up inventory items and things like that it's not clear it, the people cryo gave a really good think to how they could do something interesting with this partial license that they've gotten and I agree with everything that Nicholas Shukrun, the guy who is the director of the game, said in that it would be easy just to do what Fox had sort of approached id Software about doing, which was to create a first-person shooter aliens game where the aliens are the bad guys and you're just mowing them down. But Nicholas Shukrun said the point of Alien was that there's this horror aspect and the, the aliens aren't just cannon fodder, they're menacing. They have enormous amount of power and you can't just dispatch them by the dozen 
scenes offhandedly. That undercuts the horror aspect. So he wanted to bring that horror aspect back. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I love all these ideas. But it sounds like the execution was more on the dragon lore sort of level. <laughs> right. Based on some of the reviews that I read later on. Yeah. And when, I mean, when you say you're going to make a game based on the Alien franchise, Alien and Aliens are very different movies, right? Alien is right. a horror film by Sir Ridley Scott. Aliens is an action movie by James Cameron, which right. has a lineage that reaches to that Doom movie with The Rock that we love. Right. So it was a little bit unclear to me what they were going for. It's, hypothetically, I guess it was more the horror aspect. Right. But the reception of this game was uh, not good. <laughs> Yes. Stephen Kleckner of GamesBeat opined, Aliens, the comic book adventure, is a frustratingly plodding and tedious excuse of a game. (laughs) Sit through a Let's Play video if you need to experience this thing. Computer Gaming World in, in 96 on release ranked it as the 24th worst game of all time. Bad art, bad plot, and action shame the Dark Horse comic series on which it was based, which is pretty, pretty damning. Yeah. And what did Fox think about this game, Austin? <laughs> you tell me. I didn't even know this part. <laughs> well, Fox sued them for copyright, obviously. Um, but somehow they let them sell the CDs that they had already duplicated. Wow. Which let me tell you, it didn't sell out so <laughs> because this game sucked. All right, I, I want to be cheered up. So let's talk about the Through the Looking Glass feature. In this issue, Easy Gamer actually visited the Cambridge, Massachusetts uh, offices of Looking Glass Studios, the beloved developer of some of our favorite games, including System Shock, Ultima, Underworld, Flight Unlimited, a number of things that they haven't made yet as well. And what I walked away from this article, this, this look inside this fable developer, what I walked away with is that it's basically like, it's just a soft landing for a whole bunch of academics from nearby colleges like MIT guys that were like I don't want to become a professor I just want to play computer games and make computer games and so if you look at the academic qualifications of the developers and the other staff members at Looking Glass it's like the fucking Manhattan Project over there you know you got your physicist you got your mathematician but there is an exception the sound department is not that well the the sound department is uh like an alternative rock band isn't it tribe yes the alternative band tribe is their sound department but you know the guy who wrote system shocks physics system you know so you can like throw rocks and chewing gum wrappers and things is a fermi lab trained high energy physicist seamus blackley and now he's working on the physics at the time that they interviewed him he was working on the physics system for the flight sim flight on limited. You got Eric Tweetmeyer, who's a Harvard MIT math PhD. And he's working on an advanced 3D engine for the forthcoming, is it Mecha Combat game, Terra Nova? I'm trying to remember what Terra Nova was. Anyway, it's still in early stages of development when this article was written. Yeah, it's also interesting who's not mentioned because this yeah. is this is kind of a transitional period, really, for Looking Glass Studios. The old guard that made Ultima Underworld and that made System Shock are building on that success and expanding the studio, and they're bringing in a lot of new talent that they're going to train up. That new talent will be the people who make the next generation of great Looking Glass games. So for instance, there's no mention here of Ken Levine. Ken Levine would go on to create Thief and then he would leave and create Bioshock uh, at Irrational Entertainment. 
at the time that this was written, I think Keenan Levine had just joined the staff or was just about to join the staff of Looking Glass after responding to a help wanted ad basically posted in one of the first issues of Next Generation Magazine. Remember, Next Generation Magazine only started in January of 95. It is a younger magazine than PC Gamer. And he has just joined them. And there's also no mention of Warren Spector, who was the producer of the Ultima Underworld games, as well as System Shock. And he'd go on to be the general manager of Looking Glass Austin and, and be a contributor to Thief. But he departs Looking Glass before Thief comes out and then goes on through partnership with Ion Storm to create what some people consider to be the greatest PC game of all time, Dave's X. So this is a fertile development studio. Yeah, it seems like it developed into a feature on Seamus Blackley, who uh, actually got fired pretty shortly after this, probably for trying to make some completely unprofitable and crazy game. (laughs) And he actually went on, he had the ear of Bill Gates in 1999, and apparently was the guy who proposed the Xbox or Direct Xbox project. So he actually has quite a big legacy sort of outside of the context of this thing. That's interesting. Interesting. I mean, you can already see some sort of problems when it comes to addressing a, a mass market developing within the studio. And that is, for instance, with Flight Unlimited, which Seamus Blackley is sort of leading. It's being designed for future computers, not for present ones. It's being designed for 150 megahertz Pentiums with 128-bit graphics. Now, at this time, there's only one 128-bit graphics solution, period. It's the Imagine 128 from number nine, and it doesn't really accelerate DOS. They're basically imagining NVIDIA's Reva 128, which is going to come out in 1997. But at that point, you would have owned Flight Unlimited for two years, not able to play it anything like the way it was intended to be played. And it's like the opposite approach to to games that like Nintendo has. You know, Nintendo, they use outdated technology and then they try to make the most of it and provide a great a gameplay experience that everyone gets to enjoy. I mean, it's it's a future looking, but also sort of negative approach, I think, that PC game studios take where it's like, we're going to make a game that'll run really well, maybe four or five years from now. So just wait around and ultimately get that experience anyway. I thought it was nice that they met with the developers and did this cute little meet and greet thing. And yeah. also it inspired me to uh, go on good old games and buy Thief and System Shock 2. I couldn't take the torture anymore of all these demo <laughs> CDs. You needed a palate cleanser? <laughs> Anything else. I've been playing a lot of Diablo 2 Lord of Destruction on the side, and that's a game that doesn't come out until like year 2000. So Cheating on the podcast. I'm cheating on the podcast. I have a little side game on the podcast. I'm sorry, podcast. I still love you. Another of the articles that shows up in PC Gamer this month is the first annual PC Gamer Awards for the wonderful year of 1994, which at this point is actually pretty long past. It leads with a photo of beautifully etched glass plaque that they presumably awarded to the publishers or developers of these games, but that I have no actual evidence exists. Probably Matt Firm has it on his desk. That's it. Yeah. Just one. One of one. One of one, yes. If one of these pops up on eBay, I would tell you, I'm going <laughs> to bid it up all the way to $1 and one cent. Do a drum roll, please. The game of the year is... Uh, let me open up the envelope. Oh, it's Doom, a game from 1993. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> 
And it says that Matt Firm made this call at, at the last moment. So I mean, here's what I think. There's something legitimate in this, in that Doom became more of a cultural phenomenon in 1994. And of course, the Doom modding scene and the Doom multiplayer deathmatch scene. And these things emerged I, later than the release I, I of the game. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> it's not from 1994. I think it's too bold uh. of a choice to make for your first annual gaming awards, right? Like maybe after 10 years, you're like, hey, we want to mix it up and do something a little different, take a different approach to how we choose game of the year. But for your first one to choose something from 1993? I'm imagining they open the envelope. It was XCOM, and the, but then Kanye runs up, rushes right. the stage, right? I'm going to let you finish. But, but Doom's the greatest game of all time! Of all time! Thank you. <laughs> That's the worst Kanye impression ever. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so TIE Fighter doesn't get Game of the Year, but now it has a second chance because best action game is between TIE Fighter and Wing Commander 3. So the winner is... TIE Fighter, which I agree with just because I like it more. I don't have any real justification for it. Mechanically, in, in terms of like the, the missions and things like that, I think that it's the better game. But Wing Commander 3, obviously, is a cinematic achievement in gaming. But whatever, I'm sure it'll win something. Now, who do you think might have won Best Adventure Game, Alan? I don't know. Is it Legend of Curandia Book 3? No, it's actually Legend of Curandia Book 4. Actually, no. Uh, (laughs) It it was Looking Glass's System Shock. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was it close? Uh, No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't close at all. System Shock could win in any of these categories, uh, especially because they seem to be playing fast and loose with what these genres mean. So the best simulation went to 1942, the Pacific Air War, a World War II flight combat game beating out NASCAR racing. NASCAR racing doesn't really seem to belong in this genre. I mean, I guess it has simulation elements and things, but a lot of things that do belong in this genre, you know, like the Sim series and other things oddly don't seem to have been considered for this award. Yeah. Here's something that really matters. Yeah, the best role-playing game, because on a per-hour basis, like these are the games that get played the most, right? You know, That's somebody right. Somebody who hasn't showered for weeks, right. playing the game yep. all day, yep. all night. Yep, describing me. Okay. <laughs> Interestingly, uh, the winner was Star Trail Realms of Arcania, which beat out the Elder Scrolls Arena. Not necessarily the most highly regarded entry in Bethesda's Elder Scrolls series, but sort of a, a foundational one. Now, Star Trail Realms of Arcania, that was reviewed, I believe, in the last issue, and they basically called it a role player's role playing game, which is to say that it is completely inaccessible and of interest only to genre devotees. It's for people who can't live their life as themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that means. That is a harsh comment about the people who play this. About you. I, yeah, I know. You, you just described me. I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go cry in a corner while you tell us about the best strategy game. The best strategy game, not a surprise. 1994's great title, XCOM UFO Defense. Uh, but it did have tough competition from Warcraft. Yeah. So beating out Warcraft works in humans is XCOM UFO Defense. And I think this is another tough call, but another one that I agree with. XCOM UFO Defense was a timeless classic right out of the gate whereas warcraft works in humans especially when it comes to like multiple unit selection and things like that there's still a few rough edges in what is overall a polished presentation but warcraft 2 is really more the classic in that series so good job picking a winner there 
think it's a good choice uh, next category is best war game which i mean our best simulation was a war game so <laughs> this is a hexagonal grognard traditional battle simulation game it gets its own genre it gets the william r trotter lifetime achievement award even though he dissed on it it gets the award for best panzer general game yes it's panzer general the winner for the best uh, hexagonal war game set in World War II featuring tanks is, not surprisingly, Panzer General beating out Harpoon 2. As we said, this is actually a great way to get into hexagonal war games if you would ever like to do that. So let's talk about sports, you know, the ones where people are running around on a field getting a lot of physical activity. Who are the two finalists for this one, Alan? I don't know. Can we just call this for <laughs> NHLPA 94 for Genesis? Because I don't like the winner here. It's best sports game of all time. Well, they gave best sports game to NASCAR Racing by Papyrus, which was also up for best simulation. Apparently, they had to award it something. I don't know. Papyrus must have some nude photos of William R. Trotter or something uh, that they're withholding but uh yeah so nascar racing wins this the other finalist was pga tour golf 486 which i kind of confused for a lot of other golf games that have processor names after them such as Lynx 386 i preferred 486 dx4 uh yes 486 dx4 i like uh cyrix tour 6x86 yeah anyway how about best historical simulator? The sheep fuckers ran away with this one, <laughs> with Lords of the Realm. <laughs> wow, we are still harping on that. Okay. Uh, well, Lords of the Realm was at least a game that we played and enjoyed. It's a cool kind of tabletop adaptation. Avalon Hill's Kingmaker, I haven't really heard of, but we all know Avalon Hill is war games and simulations for the Grognards Grognard. So I'm not too surprised there. Okay, best arcade game. We're seeing a lot of great arcade ports. Drug Wars, also Drug Wars. And there was Drug Wars, which is also on the disc this month. The two finalists we have for best arcade game are Pinball Fantasies and Mortal Kombat. And who do you think the winner is? Hmm. Well, Matt Firm prefers his fantasies, apparently. <laughs> he prefers his ball fantasies to be pin-related. Yes, Matt Firm, again, showing a firm bias toward pinball. Picks Pinball Fantasies over the PC port of Mortal Kombat. Now, here's something that is really exciting. The award for best educational product, because we know, although PC Gamer does look to entertain its readers, more than anything, it seeks to educate. And the award for best educational product, two contestants are The Way Things Work and Microsoft Encarta 95. I guess Encarta 95 was released before Windows 95 was. Um, mm -hmm. And the winner is... The Way Things Work wins. The Way Things Work. And it's, it's very good, actually. It's based on... On some books that we probably had and also i did have the way things work and this was a really interesting edutainment title so very cool this next category is very 1995 but go ahead the next category is the award for best cd-rom enhancement which is to say <laughs> the best cd-rom version of a game that you already paid for the diskette version of and the contestants here are uh, x-wing Coll collector's cd-rom versus aces of the deep versus castles 2 there are actually three finalists for this category wow yeah and can you imagine who might have won this no, I can't even. Well, the answer is X-Wing Collector's Edition CD-ROM, which mostly Woo! took a lot of the fixes and improvements that were put into TIE Fighter and brought them back to X-Wing in addition to probably throwing some extra FMV and stuff in there, which 
makes for a nice overall package. Definitely an upgrade from the original X-Wing that probably wasn't aging very gracefully at this point, given how much better TIE Fighter is. Uh, there's several special achievement categories. Some of the, my favorite releases from 1994 sort of wound up in the special achievement category here. Sam and Max Hit the Road, which is a wonderful like indie comic-based, irreverent comedy adventure game from the previous year, wins a special achievement in acting, which is interesting. Of course, it doesn't have any live actors, but it does have uh, voice acting, um, which is mm-hmm. wonderfully delivered. That's a delightful game. Um, still fun to go back to. TIE Fighter got a special achievement in musical score. That's kind of a shoe-in right there. I mean, it's kind of a shoe-in. I mean, shouldn't John Williams get a special achievement in musical score? I mean, TIE Fighter didn't add too much that was original. I mean, it's nicely arranged. Sounds lovely on most FM hardware, I'll say that. Under a Killing Moon, that I guess we get to talk about more very soon, wins a special achievement in design Mm. excellence. It is excellently designed. Those puzzles... I don't know if that's the right award for Under a Killing Moon. No. I think special achievement in cheesy FMV game uh, would be more appropriate there. Hey, tough guy! Are you looking for me? Vamos! Come a little closer. I am Lopez. Lopez, the narcotics king. I have the mansion. I have the money. I have the drugs. I have the power. So what makes you think a little cockroach like you can find me in my lab, huh? Disc four. This is a great disc because it has the Dark Forces demo on it. Yeah. It has click and play. Unfortunately, we're going to play neither of those because we've already covered Dark Horses in depth. And click and play, we're going to do its own episode four. Right. So that leaves us with a bunch of mediocre games that I hate. Starting with the one that I hate the most. Shadows of Cairn? I don't know if you can even call this a game. Like, it's not <laughs> engaging. It's not entertaining. I hope that Shadows of Cairn was written by just one guy if if you tell me anything other than that then i will be really upset well i think you could remake shadows of karen in click and play well yeah i mean i've played better click and play games so tell us about shadows of karen i i have nothing to say i didn't even play it (laughs) i i saw the screenshot and i went oh Okay, and I just pushed it down to the bottom of my list. All right, well, I'll tell the audience. It's sort of an adventure game in the in the vein of Guybrush, Threepwood, and Monkey Island, but the story's not good. The controls are even worse. You have to do all these combinations to, to, to do anything, like even up to like three things at once, and <laughs> uh, the game is completely uncontrollable. Awesome. But it is a very music-forward game. There's amazing rock music, so oh. I would say if you do open in this game just start the game go into combat mode and just don't don't move just, just enjoy <laughs> just, the music just don't look at it the next game on our list is world cup golf which was confusing to me because i was pretty sure world cup was a soccer thing <laughs> in any event there is no soccer to be had in this golf game which is simply a golf game in the style simply of a golf game but it's pretty it, it is it's pretty got some good high quality textures or something i mean i i guess i enjoyed it for what it is it plays in svga mode it wasn't too hard and to figure out how to use the clubs and such. Oh, but my opponent got into an infinite loop 
actually, where he would keep oh, really? putting into the water and then it would make him do the putt again. Yeah. And it actually just infinitely looped. It wasn't an AI. I was playing with you over modem. That's what it was. <laughs> that was just me. That's just how I play golf. Don't worry about it. So I would always hook it terribly. And then I ended up trying to chip out of the fucking parking lot of the pro shop. And I just, I didn't get anywhere. I had a lot of problems with balls hitting terrain, but I don't know. I just play links. What's wrong with links? I like links. Cyclomania. Alan, you said you enjoyed this game. Tell me about it. I think that racing on FMV with scaled sprites works. Uh, really? <laughs> now, to be fair, I did not understand for the first 15 minutes of playing oh, yeah. this game. That is both first and third person. At the same time. <laughs> I know. The default view in VGA mode, right, <laughs> is... You have this first person sort of behind the instrument panel view of your motorcycle, but then you are also seeing yourself in third person on the road in front of you. So I was like, I don't understand. I held down the button and it's like, it looked like all of the bikes raced off, you know, like in Super Hang On, but I was still there, but I was also following them. So I couldn't figure out what on earth was happening until I was like, oh, wait, it's both first and third person. I see my instruments in first person but my bike i see in third person once you get around how ridiculous that is the game is not unplayable i mean they did something clever and that is to basically have the fmv advance frame by frame as you're driving so the road is sort of going by this allows you to have a fair amount of interactivity the same that you would get in one of those early sega racing games but with quote-unquote photorealistic visuals did you try out the SVGA mode? I don't know what mode I was in. I, I was just really happy, okay? This game touts its SVGA mode, but if you hit the button to switch to SVGA mode, all it does is take the 320 by 240 view that you had before and shrink it down to the middle of the screen and then draw an outline of the track okay. around it. I just wasn't confident that that was the fraud that was going on. I'm sorry. That's the fraud. Okay, could we please talk about the next game? From American Laser Games, we have Crime Patrol 2 Drug Wars. Yes, from the geniuses who brought you Mad Dog McCree, several other mediocre light gun games from the early 90s, we have a sequel to another mediocre Lethal Enforcers ripoff called Crime Patrol 2 colon Drug Wars. Yeah, and I have to say, my favorite part about a non-interactive game is that I don't have to play it. I can just go <laughs> on YouTube. And I actually watched the Laserdisc version, which is much better than the oh, PC really? version. Yeah. I mean, the video is obviously a lot clearer. Right. And this game is so great. They have, you know, the criminal drug drug lord from South America, Lopez, mm-hmm. who is um, he's an imitation of an Al Pacino imitation of a South American drug lord. <laughs> Say hello to my little friend, you know, that kind of thing. Right. God. But he's he's so stereotypical that you can't really blame him for what he does. Like he just he was born this way, right? Right. And he's actually pretty good. If you compare him to like Raga from the Fast and Furious uh, series, <laughs> which you should. I would prefer Lopez. I would really yeah. I would favor Lopez heavily in that. Yeah, you're a big Lopez fan. Well, I love how this game opens. It just opens with Lopez teasing you and taunting you and and asking you why you think you have what it takes to take him on. Gosh, did you see the looks on some of the extras' faces in the video? The women who they like hired to be Lopez's like pool babes—they have these looks of utter despair on their faces, like they fully realize that they just signed up to be in one of the worst laserdisc games of all time. <laughs> I mean, they're just happy they didn't get dialogue. 
to be honest. Yeah, it's like, oh, thank God I don't have to say anything. Or they don't have to be an innocent. You know, right. all the all the innocent people somehow have more courage than actual people with guns. Yes. They jump right in front of you. Right. And the only clue you have whether to shoot them or not is based on your 90s, like, racist views of Latin American people. <laughs> It's based on prejudice, prejudice based shooter. There's a scene where you're like in this office and have to shoot up all these people. And then for some reason, the receptionist pops up. She's not cowering in fear. She's like right at you, right in front of you saying, take a number. And it's like, do you not know what's going on? <laughs> this is a shootout. You, you shouldn't be. You should be probably down on the floor or something. Bullets are flying here. So in the demo, it starts out one of your Starsky and Hutch wannabes comes out of the lower right of the screen and says, uh, this like bar is dealing dope or something. Let's uh, let's teach him a lesson or something like that. Right. And then you go into like this country Western bar and it's just everyone. You just shoot everyone. Anyone who looks at you funny is a threat. Like you shoot the proprietor, you shoot half of the patrons, you shoot like the, the wait staff. It's just a massacre. Uh, it's really bizarre. Um, interesting game. Did you uh, follow the story of American Laser Games, by the way? No, the company? I didn't. Tell me. Well, apparently they had like a spinoff, Her Interactive, for like mm. games for women or girls. Right. But Her Interactive was more successful and bought them back. I don't understand the corporate structure here. But basically, it just became a company for Nancy Drew Games right. for the next 20 years. Yeah, that's interesting that they, they bought back American Laser Games. Next game, U.S. Navy Fighters. This is full Kenny Loggins entering the danger zone. Well, actually, interestingly, this game immediately page faulted because I think it did enter the danger zone. (laughs) By performing an illegal operation. This game worked just fine on my real Pentium 100. Um, so U.S. Navy Fighters is a pretty in-depth air combat simulation using modern naval aircraft like the F-18. There's a whole section where you can plan the whole mission out. It's actually really in-depth. It's sort of like a Rainbow Six level of mission planning where you can select the formation that your wingman's going to fly in. Then you can select all your ordnance. Then you select the names of the waypoints and the positions of the waypoints. And there's just so much strategic planning that goes into that section before you actually get in the plane and fly. But then when you get in the plane and fly, it all kind of falls apart. On the one hand, it supports high-resolution graphics. I was able to play in 1024 by 768 at about one frame per second. But even at super high res, the texture resolution stays the same. So, And the texture resolution is very, very low. So there'll be like a Atari 2600 river below you with some extremely well-defined high-resolution polygon trees that you can kind of see. And only the slightest like sprinkle of three-dimensional buildings and, and other sort of like landmarks. It's Microsoft Flight Sim 4 levels or, or less of, of detail. The first indication I had that there were hostiles was a missile coming through my cockpit. And I would think that with all these systems and things in place, I would at least get some sort of warning tone, or maybe my wingman would say something, or maybe like something would show up on my radar. Uh, but no, the first indication that I was in hostile territory was a missile straight to the old cockpit. So overall, I mean, this ain't, ain't no Janes. Well, it's no F-22 Lightning II. It's not even a Nova Logic. Go play a Janes or a Nova Logic game. This one is not. Not a a pick for me. So, they've found it again, have they? I thought we'd taken care of it. The uh, forces of evil are persistent, sir. I'm getting too old for this. 
Who have we got lined up to deal with this problem? Uh, Murphy, sir. Oh, no, not Murphy. Afraid so, sir. What about Spade or Marlowe? Uh, dead, sir. Isn't there anyone else? Sorry, sir, he's next on the list. Well, I suppose we'll have to make do. Knowing Murphy, he's going to need help. A lot of help. I'll check the archives and get back to you, sir. Next game is Under a Killing Moon, which yes. is a Tex Murphy adventure. Yeah. Tex Murphy, I think there have been two previous games in this series, but he's a PI and it's sort of a film noir thing in San Francisco. I mean, it's modeled after Maltese Falcon kind of right. thing, if you can think of it. Right. But, you know, it's just a sarcastic uh, detective drama, essentially. Well, it takes place in this post apocalyptic world mm-hmm. inhabited by mutants, and only the poor are left in old San Francisco and just highly radioactive. And it basically, it takes Blade Runner, which was itself sort of a sci-fi version of noir detective fiction, and then just puts more Maltese Falcon back into Blade Runner. So it, it, it amps up sort of the earlier noir aspects and it's imagines itself as being funny. And it sometimes is. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of, you know, funny one-liners and things like that. And the game itself, a lot of it is sort of FMV of people that have been cut out. They were probably green screened or something. Right. And then thrown onto the rendered background. And there's also a cool when you're exploring 3D mode, which is actually pretty nice yeah. for the time. Frame rate's low, but that's not really the point. Yeah. But, you know, they, they optimized for uh, prettiness. I thought this is, you know, this is a decent game. I think the FMV stuff, you know, is kind of hit or miss. Yeah. It's basically a technological smorgasbord. And it has, it has this high resolution, high texture detail 3D engine that's used for exploring smaller environments uh, when you're looking for clues and things like that. And then it has these FMV actors that are overlaid on rendered backgrounds to deliver most of the dialogue. You know, it's got FMV, it's got 3D, it's got everything, but it doesn't really integrate any of those things very well. You have to tap the space bar to switch between what's called movement mode, where you sort of traverse this 3D landscape and, and looking for things, and between like interactive mode, where you can actually click on things in the environment. By comparison, other sort of 2D, 3D mashup games like uh, Grim Fandango would take a different approach and one that I think was a little bit more fluid and less jarring. This kind of kind of throws its disparate mechanical systems at you and the player has to figure out how to make it work in order to make the story progress. But overall, I think the puzzles are mostly fair and some of the writing is actually quite good. And yeah, sometimes it's actually quite funny or quite insightful. Or Yeah, I mean, the only thing is at the beginning of the game, Tex Murphy is so depressed. I don't think I've ever played a protagonist that's that depressed. <laughs> like I was like, you should go see a psychiatrist and <laughs> take your meds or something, you know? Yeah. But I guess, you know, in the nuclear wasteland that is San Francisco, everybody's having a rough time. Although he has an especially rough time because of his wife. There's like a scene where she cheats on him with like the plumber an upholsterer. or something. He's and, an upholsterer. Yeah. Uh, well, she had previously cheated with the plumber. Right. In any case, it is quite humiliating and, and gets the point across, I think. And of course, the whole gimmick of this game is James Earl Jones' voice, which shows up at the beginning where he's like on the moon or something, and he's like, something bad's happened and needs to be fixed. And they're like, well, Tex Murphy's the best guy we got. 
Do you know how this develops? How much James Earl Jones do we ultimately get in this I game? I don't know how much James Earl Jones you get. I, I always read that James Earl Jones' kids were always pushing him to say yes to these multimedia things because James Earl Jones' kids were like mega nerds and wanted their dad to show up in more like multimedia products. But I don't know. Oh yeah, the demo, by the way, on the CD is totally broken. In case anyone's playing along here, PC Gamer broke the demo because the disc has the wrong label or a label that the game demo doesn't expect. And so when you try to play it it just keeps on telling you to insert disc one which of course doesn't work because the disc is named pc gamer i i own an actual copy of this and i played through the first act and i, I didn't get much more in the in the way of james Earl jones so the next game on the disc is wings of glory the world needs another world war one air combat simulation right yeah and there's some great mid-atlantic accents that are obviously done by the programmers I did watch on YouTube some of the German campaigns, and their impersonation is even more offensive. I was thinking it'd be all, Ach, mein Kaiser, I can walk. That would be a much better impersonation. Well, so you already have Red Baron. You have Knights of the Sky. Really, you're spoiled for choice in the World War One combat flight sim category at the moment. You know, the plane models were nice. There's like texture shake all over the place for the ground and... I mean, it, it's technically, it's a bit of a mess. And I, I found the controls to be frustratingly imprecise. They were frustrating, but they had so many different views you could do where you could that's actually true. see where the gun will shoot. Yes, that's true. It's like the virtual racing of World War One flying games. It kind of is because there's some awareness of plane physics. You can't like pull up while you're in a turn, which is good. You yeah. know, it's not descent. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not flight simulator hard. Like I could land the plane first time just fine. Overall, it sort of aims for an arcadey, fun to play game that's not overly concerned with accuracy, either historical or physics. But I can never seem to get myself pointed in the direction I intended. The controls are just kind of shaking all over the place. And I don't know if that was the fact that I'm playing the keyboard instead of with my Thrustmaster. It's hard to play these games without a Thrustmaster. In fact, speaking of without a Thrustmaster, Brett Hole 95, the hockey game we played, was also made for a joystick and the, the keyboard controls were super awkward, so I felt very left out. Yeah, the keyboard controls are awkward. Although playing a hockey game, I mean, with a flight stick seems a little bit odd. So you're not merely controlling, like, the stick. You're controlling the actual individuals who are passing. But I, I had to turn the speed way down, first of all. And really the problem is that the camera doesn't keep up with the action, and the player's fright are difficult to discern and it's hard to see the puck and compared to like console efforts like NHL 95 I felt that it was far less playable I mean the sprites are bigger and everything there's some sort of graphical niceties but it was hard to read the field and way too much way too much scrolling because of the larger scale of things yeah I, I felt like the deck was stacked against me I somehow got penalties while offense and all I did was like graze a guy and somehow I got a penalty and then once I figured out the controls and I had a breakaway and I was I was right in front of the goalie hit the button to shoot it just crashed and gave an integer divide by zero fatal so it was just like <laughs> yes no soup for you my friend well the, the game the game knew that you were almost going to get a single point and immediately crashed to prevent you from doing so and I don't even dislike hockey games. I even like bad hockey games like Wayne Gretzky's 3D Hockey. And yet this was, uh, was a bridge too far for me. Well, the next game, Lemmings 3, like we needed another 
Lemmings game. <laughs> I call it Lemmings the Paycheck. That's what it says in the Wikipedia article, which is this is uh, DMA's last Lemmings game. And yeah, the programmer said that this is just to like fulfill our contract. Like we don't want to do this anymore. Well, I mean, this was supposed to be a refinement on the original Lemmings that it also introduces some sort of nicer upgraded graphics and some kind of new features and modalities. But basically what they did was they they took classic Lemmings, they improved the Lemmings sprites a little bit. Made them a lot bigger. They made them bigger and they made them fewer in number, which kind of is contrary, I, I thought, to the spirit of the original. And then they just broke the fundamental gameplay mechanics. So... In the original Lemmings, everything you can do is down on this Microsoft-esque ribbon interface in the bottom of the screen, and that's inelegant as it is. But what they did to try to fix that in Lemmings Chronicles is that they took all of the Lemmings powers and then they made them into power-ups that you have to collect. But then once you collect them, only the Lemming that collected it can do it, and you have to find that Lemming and click on it in order to get like the contextual action of that Lemming for that power-up and deploy it, which of course, because all the lemmings look the same, is totally impossible and not to mention you can put yourself into unwinnable states basically instantaneously and so they did, they basically just broke lemmings. The sprite work is great, but they fundamentally broke the game they took one of the most proven formulas in classic PC gaming and are just like, yep, let's fuck that one up. All I can say is if I have to hear the music or play this game again, <laughs> I'm just, I'm gonna go insane. I Too much. This is too much of this Yeah, the, the music is grating over time. Next game Spectre VR uh, Spectre spelled British and or James Bondish James um, Bondish Daniel Craigish yeah, this is uh, some sort of vector graphic shooter that has the shortest draw distance that could be allowed <laughs> by law <laughs> Uh, this is a port from the Macintosh in enhanced CD-ROM for the uh-huh. Windows computer. Well, anyway, I would say the game's quite lame, but in defense, it's it's amazing what it can do with so few pixels. <laughs> the utility per pixel is high, I guess, yeah. in this game. I mean, this was an amazing game to play sort of on the early Macintosh, not necessarily the original Macintosh, but early Macintosh models long before things like TIE Fighter had come out. It was sort of an homage to the classic Atari arcade game battle zone with numerous notable improvements and a little bit of network play and some other cool stuff. So this was a neat early 90s amusement, but in 1995, it's not old enough to be nostalgic and retro cool yet, uh, and it's not advanced enough. It could be fun multiplayer. I don't know if you ever played it that way. I never had a chance to, but I've definitely heard of people doing so. Yeah, I'm holding out for Hover, which is going to be a much better game. <laughs> the game that came with Windows 95 Hover. is more inspiring than this game true all right virtuoso virtuoso this was i call this a first person shooter but i guess technically a third third person because you see the back yes of this very 90s long-haired rock and arola star i guess but um this was a huge bait and switch for me because i i read what pc gamer had to say about it first yeah and they were like if you're looking for rock and roll this is the thing for you that's not verbatim but whatever right that's what i thought it was that i was going to play guitar maybe with a pick that plugs into your parallel port and you (laughs) strum it on a tennis racket yeah but then it was just a lame shooter so the pc gamers text about this in the 
in the magazine right before the like full page ad that Vic Tokai took out for this game is very complimentary. But if you read the info that they put on the actual PC Gamer disc, like if you click the info button before you install the game, it has a slightly more sarcastic take on it. Uh, it describes the player as Ted Nugent in his more hirsute days, <laughs> which I think is is pretty close. So I look at the screenshots in Vic Tokai's promotional material for this game, and it looked kind of cool. It was kind of like a psychedelic otherworldly Doom clone, like a, a metal version. I mean, Doom is already a very heavy metal influence game, but this is a meta metal game. But I actually couldn't get it to work properly on my Pentium 100. I got like half a frame per second. Oh, no, this, this actually ran the best. Oh, really? And I was able to figure out the controls the fastest, I think, of any of these games. Even somehow drug wars, when I shot people, they didn't die. Oh, really? I always shot them in the crotch. Maybe that's not when you're, where you're supposed to shoot. Center of mass. <laughs> if the crotch is center of mass, then protocol demands that you shoot them in the groin. Yes. Um, but Virtuoso worked perfectly for me on my emulated Verge DX. So what sort of what sort of enemies did you encounter? There's one where there are snowmen who look very menacing <laughs> and they throw lances at you. Oh, wow. They're kind of slow flying lances. Snowman lancers. Yeah, that was the best level. There's a marine level where they're marines. There's also, I forgot the first level is just like robots. Um, let's talk about Tim 2. Tim 2. The incredible machine. At first I thought the last thing we need, another Lemmings game, because it's sort of like Lemmings. You Lemmings with bowling balls? Yeah, you create a contraption and you have to make the bowling ball fall in the right place. It is mechanically similar, but I think it's yeah. quite distinct. Let's really, I mean, this is a Rube Goldberg device creation puzzle game, right? Yeah. You're trying to meet certain objectives by building a Rube Goldberg device that will transport a bowling ball generally one location to another in bizarre convoluted indirect ways using a toolbox full of little bizarre kids toys like blimps and rats that run on wheels and conveyor belts and gears and pulleys a i think this game is genuinely fun b genuinely challenging and c arguably educational like my son and i sat down played this for a solid hour and we were both very very satisfied Despite my initial impression of this game, I spent the most time playing this game. And I also appreciated that I at least felt like I had a third grade intelligence, uh, <laughs> maybe second, actually. Every other game just just insulted my intelligence or Under right. a Killing Moon just made me depressed. Yep. So it's quite a fun experience. And one of them was really tough. And it feels like you've just done it. And then the game is just like, nah, nah, you're going to have to come up with something completely different in order for this to actually work. But I appreciated the challenge. I, I wrote some slightly less flattering things in my notes. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I, I wrote that the goal of the game is to complete the stated objectives before the wacky music drives you insane. So just turn off the music. Uh, play something else. I at least in this game you could make your own puzzle which i thought was pretty cool yeah it has the editor built right in which is cool you can make a little challenge for someone and yeah this is neat this is borderline educational software at its best can be appreciated by a wide range of ages and interests yeah 
So the time has come for us, believe it or not, to... To do the pick of the disc. Choose our pick of the disc. Which is whatever demo annoyed us the least. Right. I think that's some good guidance. I was not overwhelmed, apart from the two things that we can't talk about because we're doing special episodes on them, Dark Forces and Click and Play. Apart from those two things, I was not overly impressed by the contents of this disc. Um, No. I mean, here's my logic. I think if the demo had worked, I probably would have given it to Under a Killing Moon just because it would have held my attention for the most time. But I can't really do that. Judging it simply on the installer and the main menu, which are the two parts of it that they shift functioning, I can't award it that. No. I definitely enjoyed the Incredible Machine more than the installation process and sound card configuration for Under a Killing Moon. Right. So the next one I would consider would be Drug Wars, but I think I just can't do that. Like, my conscience won't let me either. <laughs> so I think it is Incredible Machine for me. I think Incredible Machine is a really good choice. I mean, it's maybe Psychomania's up there except the whole combined first person third person and the joke of an svga mode i think have to disqualify it and i'm gonna say incredible machine too is my pick of the disc as well Next month is going to be April. Uh, there's a big article on Descent and PC Gamer. And I think because Descent was released in this month of March, our next episode is probably going to be a special episode just about Descent. So two episodes time, we'll we'll get to check out what other schlock PC Gamer and its shameless partners have placed <laughs> on the disc. So look forward to that. Sounds good to me. All right. want to plug our whatever we plug. We're on Twitter, on Instagram. We have a blog at Smug in Play or Smug and Play, whichever you choose, .com, uh, where you can find out about my travails trying to keep my Pentium 100 running long enough to play all of this horrible FMV schlock. And we we should probably recognize that we've gotten some feedback. Occasionally, I post on Facebook in the MS-DOS gaming and uh, retro computing groups about the things that we're doing. One piece of feedback we've gotten about the podcast is that people really want to have some sort of video version because they think that the, the value that we bring is that we're shedding some light on some games that people didn't have time to play back in the day just because there was so much going on in the PC entertainment space. And they would like to not just hear our takes on these games. They'd also like to be able to see them and evaluate the games for themselves. So we're thinking of doing some experimentation in the video realm. I've, I've sent some experimental video to Alan to kind of take a look at and he's helped to ideate on this. We don't know exactly where we're going to start with this or how far we're going to go with it, but We'll let you know as soon as there are any further developments in that area. Sounds lovely. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening. Okay, best adventure shock is between sisters. Oh, fuck. <laughs> let me do that again. <laughs> it goes to La La Land or whatever. <laughs> I'm going to let you finish, but... Wow, we can't even do a fucking award show. What the hell?